Welcome to Sex, Body and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency. And on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. I have always wanted to do a show that is completely dedicated to one of the most important organs on a woman's body, the clitoris. And our next guest is the very fabulous Dr. Laurie Mintz. Now she has written various highly acclaimed books, Becoming Clitorate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It, and A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex, Reclaim Your Desire and Reignite Your Relationship. She is a professor at the University of Florida, and I'm thrilled to welcome onto the show, Dr. Laurie Mintz. Dr. Laurie Mintz, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, it's your second time now. So you are a celebrated, very fabulous member of our body board at the Body Agency. And I came up with this idea of doing a show just about the clitoris because it's the year of the clitoris. It's written up everywhere. And I just finished reading um, an article in the New York Times about I think it was the New York Times or or one a similar publication where it was like, seeing as half the population have a clitoris, why are there no specialists? And I was like, aha, you do not know Dr. Laurie Mintz. What is it now about the timing, Laurie, where everyone is talking about the clitoris? What's happened? I think it's just, well, I have one of two hypotheses. There's been a lot of us, me and you included, right, who've been pushing for clitoracy, clitoral knowledge for a long time. And I think it's just finally reached mainstream. The New York Times article, Dr. Rachel Rubin, who is a urologist who, you know, focuses a lot on the clitoris. So I think there's a lot of people on social media pushing for this and books and such. So I think the timing is just like, it's finally the knowledge is caught on. I don't know if this is true or not, but I don't think it's a coincidence that this is catching on at the same time our reproductive rights have come under fire. You know, I think women are angry and women are feeling ignored in the healthcare system in terms of everything, reproductive rights, you know, knowledge of menopause and the clitoris, you know, our bodies and our bodily autonomy is under fire. So I think it's, this is an important part of saying, hey, the clitoris is important to our bodily empowerment and autonomy. Yeah. Oh, so many questions. We're really going to explore the clitoris today. Let's be clear here. And I have a quick question. Now, you're a professor and you have really taken the subject on. You've written a book, Becoming Clitorate. It is fantastic. It's critically acclaimed. You've got some science behind it that once people have read it, they become obviously more educated, but more sexually pleased, right? Yeah. So there's a published study showing that women who read my book become more orgasmic, more aroused, more satisfied, better body image, better sexual communication, and less sexual pain. Mm. And men who read it, become much more clitorate. They become more aware of women's bodies, better sexual communicators, and they let go of damaging myths around their sexuality, like their penis is essential to a woman's pleasure. 
Mm-hmm. Well, as we know, we don't necessarily always need that, do we? But um, no. we'll, we'll get on to that. We'll get on to that. <laughs> Quick question. Does the clitoris age with us? Does it change? So, you know, I am not a medical physician. So take what I say with a grain of salt. I'm a psychologist and a sex educator. So that's more my specialty. Mm -hmm. So go ahead and even correct me. But just like the rest of us, right, as we age, estrogen decreases. Mm -hmm. And basically, that makes vaginal tissue less elastic, less supple, which is why a lot of menopausal or perimenopausal women have pain and urinary issues. And it's all about that. But the clitoris can also get less sensitive as we age. And so it doesn't mean it's not good anymore. It still can be very erotic, but you might need a more intensive type of stimulation, a stronger vibrator, etc. on the clitoris as you age. And seeing as we're on the subject of vibrators, I've been asked this question a lot. Do you get desensitized when you use a vibrator a lot? No, no, and no. Okay, so that is one of the many myths around vibrators. And it's really important to break down what do people mean when they say desensitize? Do they mean they're going to go numb? Well, if you use it for hours, maybe. So stop using it, just like your butt gets numb when you're riding a bike, stop riding. But what they really mean is I'll be harder to stimulate or I'll need it all the time. And here's my answers to both of those. Mm -hmm. There was a study of rabbits who interestingly have almost identical clitorises to human females, and they stimulated these lucky rabbits. They got vibrator stimulation. And their clitoris has got more sensitive, not less. And then what people really mean is, will I always need it? And my answer is maybe, but so what? We don't tell men, like, don't get used to intercourse because you'll always need it or oral sex. It's only when it comes to vibrators that we have this false notion. If you love your vibrator, bring it into partner sex. And here's something a lot of people don't know that I love to share. The vulva has special receptors for vibration found nowhere else on the human body. And that is why we love vibration. And guess where else you can, the only other place you can find those receptors is on a penis. They have the same ones. And so what I tell men who are reticent I'm like, hey, if your penis is hanging out down there while your partner is using her vibrator, you're going to catch some vicarious vibes and you're going to enjoy it. Try it. And Mm -hmm. everyone comes back and is like, you're right. And that's why they're also using vibrators for men's sexual health now for sexual concerns. So I did a talk last night, actually, with one of our other body board members, Dr. Sonia Wright, who I'm crazy about. But we spoke to sort of midlife couples who are part of an organization, leaders, you know, all own their own companies. And they were in marriages, you know, spanning 20, 30 years and, you know, in the 50s. And oh, my goodness, it was so interesting to hear some of the questions from the both partners, right, the husband and the wives. And there were same sex couples there. And but it was so interesting that I think the main question was, how do we get our vibe back? And it sort of like was the pink elephant in the room. They were all kind of hinting on the fact that their love lives, their sex lives had completely died. And Laurie, a very simple question. Is it possible to get it back? 
Absolutely. But let me clarify. You know, it's not going to be like when you were 18, but Mm -hmm. we accept other aspects of aging, right? You know, maybe, you know, we can't run as fast or our sleep is different or, you know, our hearing goes and we expect that. But when it comes to our sexuality, we think, oh, we should always function like we were 18. I don't want to buy in that myth. Let's feel the way we used to. But what is possible is to create a sexuality that works for the life stage you're in. And in fact, it can be even better than it was when you were 18 or 20 or whatever. There was a great book by Peggy Kleinpatz called Magnificent Sex. And she found that people's best sex started at age 50 if they could embrace doing sex differently, not being so intercourse focused, being more pleasure focused. In fact, being more external stimulation focused, Mm -hmm. which is what most women need anyway. So no, you're not going to get it back, but you can have an even better sex life Mm -hmm. than you did before. I think the film Leo Grande with Emma Thompson tells the story really well of a middle-aged woman whose husband had just died and she'd never had an orgasm in her relationship. And she hires a gigolo who helps her to discover her body and what's beautiful about it. You know, as we age, of course, our bodies age, as you say, and you might not embrace the way your new look, right? But this film was really, really, I think, insightful into the fact that you can get it all back and it can be even better. And, you know, personally, from a woman in her 50s myself, I have a lot to say about that. I mean, I think that a lot of it is in your mind. It's a mindset, right? It's a mindset. And, you know, a lot of these couples last night, their children had left home. They're now empty nesters. They're sort of looking at each other going, okay, now what? And you have to put the work in. It's not just going to spring back on its own. You need to put the work in. And as an expert, Laurie, what would you say are some of those things that you can put in place to start that process? Yeah, there's some so many. So first of all, and this was the topic of my first book, actually, A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex is how to reclaim your desire. So I'll just give you a few hints from it, which also has published studies showing that women who read it enhance their desire. So let's start with what we mean by desire. When we say I've lost my desire, people are meaning I never feel horny anymore. But what we don't know, because it's not in the movies, it's not what we see, is that being horny is called spontaneous sexual desire. It is a biological fact that as women age, and even more importantly, as their relationship ages, Mm -hmm. they stop feeling that way. There's something called the limerence phase. You can't keep your hands off each other. It's Mm -hmm. an exquisite phase. Mm -hmm. But we think something's wrong with us when it goes away, when in fact, no, we couldn't like live our lives in that phase. Mm -hmm. And so instead, capitalizing on what's called receptive desire, I am open to the idea of sex for many reasons, but not being horny. Like, I know it'll be good when it gets going. And then using that, that's not duty sex. I tell my clients, if it's fun, it's not duty sex. Using your openness to sex, reverse the equation, have sex to get horny rather than wait to be horny to have sex. 
And make sure that you take the time. You don't rush through it. Take all the time you want for vibrator stimulation, oral stimulation, manual stimulation, and don't make sex a staircase. First Mm. we do this, then we do this. You know, it's a pleasure exchange. And that's what the research shows is that sex can get better if you use responsive desire and take the time together. Mm -hmm. And of course, at the center of all of this is communication, right? Oh, absolutely. I had a client once say, I love this, communication is the bedrock to make your bed rock. (laughs) I love that. And that's also what falls along the wayside, right? You've got to put time in to be able to communicate about your intimacy. It's so important. I think you get into a rut, you do the same things over and over again. And of course, you know, in your mind, you're like, oh, I haven't emptied the dishwasher, got a forgot to go to Giant to get the groceries, the dog's barking, you know, blah, blah, the kids are next door. You know, all of those things get in the way of it. And you have to put time in on this very subject, right? Like you have to make an effort in order to make it a priority. Figure out your ideal frequency with your partner, which entails communication. Mm -hmm. Set time aside. I call them trysts, not scheduled sex. Take the time for clitoral stimulation and arousal and use mindfulness or fantasy to turn off that busy brain and to focus on the sensations in your body instead of the phone call or email you didn't respond to. So let's get back to the actual clitoris, because I got a lot of questions last night about is there really a G-spot? How many types of orgasms are there? Is there an internal G-spot or is it just the clitoris? Like, I want to really get into the clitoris. And this is obviously what we're talking about right here. So let's answer those questions first of all. Is there a G-spot? Okay, so the G-spot is, the actual name for it is the clitoral urethral vagina complex. The CUV complex, okay? Where is that? I'm holding up the puppet. Well, you won't really be able to see it in Ah, the puppet because it's internal, right? It's internal. Yes. There's pictures of this in my book. It's a little hard to show, but the bottom line is the clitoris is an internal organ. The only part you can see peeking out is the clitoral glands covered by the hood, okay? Yeah. Now, the inside. The legs, the clitoris has legs and it has bulbs. The legs and the bulb, the bulbs surround the vagina and mm-hmm. the legs also do. And the, this is the urethra right here. Okay, so there's the vagina, there's the urethra. Mm-hmm. And the G spot is, if you can find it, it's called the G spot, but it has parts of the clitoris, part mm-hmm. of the urethra, and part mm-hmm. of the vagina. And it can be found by putting a toy or your finger about a third up and making a come here motion. So what, like an inch? Are you talking about an inch? It's a little more than an inch. There's, I don't know, it's, everybody's a little different. So you have to experiment. And then you push? No, you'd make a come hither motion like this. Ooh, okay. All right, so the finger is waving. Mm-hmm. But here is the really important part. Mm-hmm. Not everybody finds that arousing. Some people look for their G-spot and they can't find it. Some look and find it does nothing for them. Mm -hmm. And some people look and find it orgasmic. And what Betty Dotson said, and I love this, the big media focus on the G-spot 
set women's orgasms back because we were back to looking for a mythical spot in our vagina that would make us go crazy. Mm -hmm. Some of us love it. Some of us don't. It's like anything else. Figure out what you like, but don't put pressure on yourself to like it, to find it, etc. Now, when most women masturbate or use a vibrator, do they mostly focus on the sort of outer clitoris part? So there's research on that. Less than 2% of women masturbate exclusively by putting something in their vagina. Less than 2%. The rest use external stimulation either alone or coupled with penetration. And depending on the study, the stats differ in terms of just outside or outside combined with inside. But the biggest thing is that 98, 99% of women use external stimulation, either alone or coupled Mm -hmm. with insertion penetration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So guys, take note, only 2%, right? So that also means that, and maybe I got the stat wrong last night, but only 30% of women can have an orgasm from penetration alone. Is that right? That's No, that's not. That's an old stat. So good to clarify. That is an old stat that comes from studies asking women, can you orgasm from intercourse? And so about 30% would say yes, but they didn't ask these women, were you also getting your clitoris stimulated? Mm. Newer studies that say, can you orgasm from just thrusting alone without getting your clitoris stimulated simultaneously? 15 to 18%. Wow. But here's a real kicker. I've done research where I thought women feel like they should orgasm from intercourse. So what if I said, what if I made the question different? And I said, what's your most reliable route to orgasm? And I get consistently about 4% say penetration alone. Well, that is very disappointing. And I think in a way, we've also brought it on ourselves because so many women are faking it, right? So many women. I don't know anyone, any one of my friends who hasn't faked it at some point, right? And so we're we're sort of setting ourselves up for failure, really. And the fact that doing this work also has given me so many tools and so much education on what I honestly like and how to communicate it. Using a vibrator during intercourse is a hunt for me anyway, a hundred percent success guaranteed, right? Good for you. Yes. And a lot, and it's no less, I have to tell people this all the time. It is no less sex if you are touching yourself with a vibrator or your hands during intercourse or take turns. You know, there's some women who can't orgasm. I've talked to a lot of women who say, I can't even orgasm with something in my vagina. It's too distracting. I need full-on clitoral stimulation. In that case, take turns. Mm. Have oral sex, manual stimulation, you orgasm, then have intercourse where he does. Mm. Or enough fooling around that penetrative sex isn't painful. Mm -hmm. and then have intercourse, he comes, then use your vibrator. Mm. I think a lot of women, though, feel shame, you know, whipping out a vibrator during sex, especially 
if it's not a long-term partner that you've built a relationship with, right? What do you say to that? Because again, it's all about communication, right? You have to have the guts to be able to say, but this is what I like. See, but in this to me gets at the real cultural root of this problem. Why are we so ashamed? Why are we so ashamed of our most reliable route to orgasm, which is clitoral stimulation? Mm-hmm. It is the way our bodies work. There's no shame. And that's a cultural shift we need. Yeah. So what I would say is, you know, I don't mean to sound harsh, but you have two choices. You can say what you need without shame and with empowerment, which takes practice mm-hmm. and have great sex, orgasmic sex, or you can hide what you like and have shitty sex. And fake. So true. And by the way, if that guy's like, well, why would you need a vibrator? I mean, I'm enough, right? I mean, you know, definitely heard that along the way. You probably shouldn't be having sex with him anyway. <laughs> with that kind right? of attitude. He's not very clitorate. And, and I feel yeah. sorry for him. It's not his fault. The reason he's thinking that is the same reason women are feeling ashamed. Yeah. Because we don't have enough cultural knowledge of the clitoris. Mm -hmm. If we all knew about the clitoris, he wouldn't feel like he had to thrust hard and last long. Instead, he would be like, how do you like your clitoris stimulated? And he could have better sex. And nobody's saying to the guy, well, why do I have to rub the end of your penis? Right? Nobody's saying that. Right, exactly. And the clitoris and the penis are the same at birth, right? They're from the same embryonic tissue. So the clitoral hood is analogous to the foreskin. The glands is the tip of the penis. Mm -hmm. The inner lips is the shaft of the penis. Mm -hmm. The vagina is not analogous to the penis, even Mm -hmm. though we we talk about it like it is. I think what was very interesting, Laurie, is when you held up your clitoris model there. And we're looking at the shape of it. I mean, our internal organs... Are sort of like a reverse penis with balls internally. Exactly. You right? can, I'm also wearing clitoris earrings and a necklace, so you Love. can really see the shape. But yeah, yeah, this is the clitoris, and it's chock full of erectile tissue. Now, how many nerve endings are like sensual nerve endings are in there? Well, I don't know about through the whole clitoris, but there was just a study on the glands because we used to use that number eight thousand. That's wrong. There are over 10,000 nerve endings on the clitoral glands, more than anywhere else in the human body, which is why, ouch, a lot of people are like, ooh, no, 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 don't touch it directly. Too many nerve endings like to have it stimulated through the hood or more indirectly, Mm -hmm. but it is a highly innervated area. So I want to get back to the fact it is the year of the clitoris. And what I loved so much about the New York Times article is they were basically saying half the population has a clitoris. Why are doctors not taught about the clitoris? Like Laurie out there, you are a true expert. You've written a book about it. And now this New York Times article is so shocking because nobody's really written about the clitoris before, but we all own one. And the only use, the only reason it exists on a woman is for pleasure. So, I mean, I'm still sort of in awe about this explosion, excuse the pun, about all of this clitorate 
news that's coming out. I mean, I've talked to so many doctors that have come on this podcast and that are on our body board and they're like, we, we don't even get taught. We're at medical school. We don't get taught about the clitoris. We have no idea. And I think that's another reason why, you know, when women are going through menopause and they go to their doctor or even their gynecologist and they're pretty clueless to tell us what we need to be doing. And even more clueless when we talk about our sexual desire or lack of it, of what to do. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've been giving talks to gynecologists lately and they're hungry for the knowledge because Mm -hmm. they literally, gynecologists, and then Rachel Rubin was a urologist who was quoted throughout that article and it's also true in urology training. They get maybe an hour on sexual health and hardly any information on the clitoris. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no other body part like it that gets ignored in medical training. Mm. And, you know, one of the things we were talking about last night was erotica and how male brains work different to female brains. And male brains are very tuned into, you know, breasts and ass and, you know, vagina and they can get stimulated in that way and and women work very differently it's emotional you can get emotionally turned on you having great communication storytelling but erotica was something that we sort of delved into and porn and how to do that together so it's not a separate thing so what are your thoughts on all of that and do you think it's a good idea Well, I'm a scientist, so I go to the literature, okay? Uh And what the literature shows is that women are actually very visually aroused, just as much, if not more, than men. That's another falsehood. Here's an interesting study. Women, if you show them erotica, say if she's heterosexual and you show her both lesbian porn and heterosexual porn, she'll get aroused. Same as a lesbian. She'll get aroused to lesbian porn and heterosexual porn, men are only aroused to the porn of their own orientation. Women get aroused by all, and stories as well, and books, and audio. So there's a lot of, you know, myths out there about porn. It's, you know, addictive, it's awful. We know that only about 10, just like alcohol, right? About 10% of users become problematic, compulsive users. The others, they don't use it compulsively, and it can actually be something that, especially if you've lost that spontaneous desire and you want to feel horny before engaging in an encounter, you know, you can watch it on your own, read it on your own, watch it together. It'll increase arousal. Now, certainly I advocate watching what's called, if you're going to watch porn, ethical porn, where the actors are paid well, where they're treated well, where they're tested for STIs, where they have autonomy, they're not forced in any way. So, I mean, it takes some digging to find ethical porn, but there's an app developed, the Rosie app. I'm not sure if you're aware of it. Oh, we love Rosie. We partner with Rosie. People can actually go to the body agency and download the app. And it has erotica on it. And it's developed by a gynecologist who was frustrated because she had so many people coming into her practice saying they they needed something to help them feel aroused. Exactly. And actually, she didn't know what to do with all these people. She didn't know what people. to do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah love I that. love the app. Yeah. Yeah. And it has it. erotica on it and education and information yeah. about all these topics. Yeah. What do you think it's going to take 
Laurie to take the taboo out of all of this. I mean, people still giggle and, you know, wherever I go and speak, I, I hold up the puppet, the vulva puppet, and everyone starts sniggering. What's it going to take for us to go to the next level here on awareness, just simple awareness on we have a clitoris and here's how it works? I think exactly what's happening. Cover books like mine, podcasts like yours, coverage in the New York Times, people taking to social media. I think we're on our way and we just got to keep fighting the fight. Yeah. Let's talk about trauma for a second, because I've been discovering some really interesting things. And, you know, sadly, a few of my contacts and friends have been sexually traumatized. They've had sexual abuse from a very young age, and they are highly sexual. What do you think has happened there? Okay, so here's what we know. You know, sexual trauma is terrible. It's awful. And too many of us women have experienced Mm -hmm. it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And not all sexual trauma survivors have the same reaction. Mm -hmm. Some find sex aversive. Some are driven to sex. Some have sex but can't orgasm. And it's really dependent on the person and so many factors. So we can't make any blanket statements about trauma except that it's traumatic and that if it's a sexual trauma, there's a lot of recovery that has to happen, but a later stage in recovery is reclaiming your sexuality. Mm -hmm. And there's some great books for that. There's a great book by Wendy Maltz called The Sexual Healing Journey that's specifically about that. There's good therapy can help. And this is oversimplified because it's not easy. But one of the most important things in recovery is realizing what happened to you was not sex. It was violence and it was assault. Sexual assault is a form of assault. It's not a form of sex. Sexual coercion is a form of coercion, not a form of sex. So, So drawing that line in the sand, that was violence and then creating a new meaning and way of sex for you where you're in control and also having a really supportive partner back to communication who, when you do get triggered, is able you're able to say stop mm-hmm. and have them stop mm-hmm. and do whatever you need for to be cared for mm-hmm. and not continue the sexual activity. Mm-hmm. Laurie, do you have children? I have two daughters, yes. Okay. One is 30, the other is 33. So do you have any tips for mothers like me who really want to educate their daughters and sons about female parts and how to have that conversation? And did you have that conversation with your daughters when they were coming of age? Yes, I did. I think sex isn't a one-time conversation. Start early. You know, when they're three, this is your vulva, this is your clitoris, this is your elbow, this is your nose labeling it like any body part and then giving increasingly, you know, intricate information, give them books to read when they're ready. There's a my book, I Love Female Orgasm. There's a Sex Positive Parenting is a great website mm-hmm. with a ton of resources, mm-hmm. age appropriate resources for kids around sexuality. Mm-hmm. And What's next for you, Laurie? What should we be expecting? Are you working on a new book? Like, I mean, obviously I'm obsessed with Becoming Clitorate. Everyone should read that. Thank you so much. I'm thinking, I'm mostly I'm teaching right now at the University of Florida. I'm going to retire in May from the university and 
I'm trying to get them to let me stay on to teach my course because I love it. And then I'm going to take some time and evaluate. I'm going to probably continue speaking to gynecologists and psychologists and the lay public. And I have some ideas for another book, but I'm contemplating that right now. And do you think the book is also good for boys to read? Yeah. And there's a chapter in there written just for boys. It's called, you don't have to have, it's a summary chapter called, you don't have to have a clitoris to be clitorate. And it's written just for men. Mm. I mean, I think you know my feelings on this. I think if we don't educate boys and men, we're going to be in the same place that we were, you know, 50 years ago. It is so important that both sides really understand a woman's body. And I can't tell you the amount of young men I meet, you know, who are 25, 26, and they're like, God, I wish I'd met you when I was when I was 16. And I could just have really have understood how it all works. Like It's still the sincere lack of sex ed that we have in schools and the way that it's delivered. I mean, it's just abysmal. We really have to change this if we want to see acute change. A hundred percent. I mean, I think, you know, the Netherlands, they teach about the clitoris. They teach about consent. They teach about pleasure. And they have way less of an orgasm gap. And they also have less sexual assault and coercion. We need to teach boys sex isn't something you do to women. And we need to teach girls sex isn't something that's done to you. This is a shared consensual experience. Mm. You know, we also need to, and obviously we're doing this, but I think it needs to be done on a much wider platform. We need to be teaching gynecologists how to talk about this in a way that's relatable when they have their patients come in. I mean, it's as simple as that. We need to look at all of the existing channels that deal with our bodies and add this element on, including schools, hospitals, clinics, you know, all over the world. It, it has to happen. I mean, that's where we are. And the world is very lucky to have you, Laurie. I've certainly learned so much from you. I continue to learn as our relationship grows. And uh, I can't thank you enough. We are out of time. I think we should definitely jump on an Instagram live and answer everyone's questions. I know that they will have so many. And I thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you for spreading cliteracy. <laughs> Everyone, her book is Becoming Cliterate. It is sensational. Cannot recommend it more. Please go and find it. And you can get more information about Laurie also at The Body Agency. So I'll see you soon, my dear. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body and Soul. Remember, you can find all my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. We are actually partnering up with Vital Voices to get much-needed dignity kits to the refugees in Ukraine. Girls and women do not have access to personal hygiene products that keep them safe and healthy. Please go to thebodyagency.com to donate a dignity kit today. Be sure also to sign up for our email list at The Body Agency for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts and use our special promotional code podcast10 to get a 10% discount. Thank you for listening.